Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Berlin, and we have a repeat guest joining us today, Dr. Sharice Roth. Welcome back to Central Line. Hello, thanks for having me again. Yeah, so uh, people who have caught your first episode, um, which was mostly talking about your amazing books and the messages in them and what we can all learn from them. If you have not checked out that episode, you have to do that immediately because Sharice is amazing and her books are too, and we should all be reading them. But if uh, for right now, if people haven't caught that episode, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background on yourself? Um, You could do the 2.0 version. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and how it is you came to be here talking to me. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Sharice Roth, I'm currently Chief Veterinary Officer of Fuzzy Pet Health. Um, outside of that, I I'm that a name. mom, right? <laughs> it's, it's the greatest name. Yeah. Uh, I'm a mom times two, uh, a children's book author times two, and of course, I'm a veterinarian. And so those are those are kind of the, that's, that's the long and the short of it. That's <laughs> the high point. Yeah. Concise like last time, um, basically uh, three or four lifetimes worth of responsibilities <laughs> packed into uh, 20 seconds of biography. So it's <laughs> just as impressive as last time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I really do love the name Fuzzy Pet Health. How did you come up with that? I did not come up with that. That oh. was Eric and Zubin, um, the co-founders. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as soon as it was on, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah got to give in. props to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, well, so we're going to be talking more about that um, in this episode. But before we go on, um, I have asked a few people this question already because I really like it. And I always learn something about the guests when I ask this. Uh, it's it, This question comes from this biscuit place that I was at in South Carolina when I was at a conference. And instead of calling out your name when your order's ready, they call out um, your answer to a question of the day. Oh, and when nice. I was there, their question of the day was, what would the title of your autobiography be? Which is really hard to come up with under pressure in line <laughs> when you're just trying to order biscuits, by the way. Um, but right now, I am interested to know, Sharice Roth, what would the title of your autobiography be? So this is an easy one for me because I actually have been working. Like, it's part of like my journaling. And uh-huh. I was totally like, I'm turning this into a book. Um, the title would be Vetsplaining. Oh, yes, <laughs> that could that could include so many different different themes in there. Perfect, I yes. would read it. Thank when you. you decide to graduate to writing your autobiography, I'm I'm going to be first in line to pick that up. One copy in the in books. Yep, yep, done. You've got an audience. Mine that day, um, by the way, was uh, life is short. Eat the biscuits. Nice. I like it. Um, anyway, well, I have learned something. That's planning. I have learned something about you. So. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about um, improving access to veterinary care, and uh, which, you know, is obviously a super broad topic. But the reason that uh, we are here talking about it now is because telehealth, I feel like, is one way that we're really expanding the idea of what veterinary care is and who can access it and when. So um, I know it's one of your passions. Is that right? 
Yeah. So I've been I've been doing telehealth back before it was cool. Yeah. Like it was like me and Jessica Vogel saying back in the day, right? It's like <laughs> telehealth is the right thing. And we're like, everybody else is like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, okay, so I just have to say this because I made an amendment to our little outline before um, you know, after you'd already seen it. And what I wrote was, I know you know our chief medical officer, Jessica Vogel, saying, and you both were talking about <laughs> telemedicine before telemedicine was cool. That's literally what I wrote. <laughs> anyway. It's so true. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so uh, the way that this kind of started for me is I was working in general practice and I was doing ER. I was doing GP during the day and ER overnight because who needs to sleep when you're young? Right. Um, and it was amazing. It was so fun. I learned a lot. Um, but the fun stopped at approximately eight months of pregnancy. Then it was immediately not fun at all. And so um, I was like, what else? What else is there? Where do I see this industry going? Um, and at that point in my life, I was very, very pregnant. And um, I had gotten sent away from my employer to learn orthopedic surgery. And so I was learning orthopedic surgery. I'm like the big pregnant girl learning in the lab. And I was like, gosh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to do this and bring this back to the city that I was working in because there really weren't other options other than the specialty center. Um, and there are definitely some socioeconomic barriers to getting those pets care there. And so uh, I came back and I started doing orthopedic surgery. And then it got to a point where I was going to three different clinics during the week and doing surgery for their clientele. And what it left me with was I, I could not provide the level of aftercare that I wanted to be able to provide and be um, close to that healing process so that I learned as a surgeon, like what the recovery actually looked like for my patients and for the pet families that I was serving. Um, so I started doing all of my rechecks remotely. Hey, send me a video of, hey, let's FaceTime um, and getting really creative in ways of evaluating patients. And I was like, surely I'm not the first person to think of this. And so I um, actually started <laughs> looking around um, and found a company that, that was doing it. It was Ask.Vet. Vet. And they hired me on as doctor number 15. <laughs> Um, I started asking really annoying questions and, um, you know, they didn't have answers to all of the things that I was asking. They're like, just, just provide solutions, Roth. And so that's what I started doing and <laughs> became over time, their director of veterinary programs and operations. And then as they started to scale, became their, their vice president of veterinary operations. And so really it was about identifying high medical quality and telehealth. Um, what does it look like? What does it feel like? for that pet family that you're trying to serve? And how do you elevate the level of care past the screen? Um, and so, yeah, there were, I remember so clearly, there were definitely times that Jessica Vogelsang and I would get on the phone and be like, why don't other veterinarians get it? This is the way to go. Um, but we're getting there. You know, I think that there was a force and function a bit, right? Yeah. Um, when COVID happened, there was definitely this palpable, now what? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Now what? For sure. In so and many ways, but this too. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? And so, you know, we all got kind of caught in this moment of how do we continue to abide by our oath um, and make sure that these critters that are now our only company during this pandemic um, get the care that they deserve, right? And so, um, you know, that was kind of the force and function. But telehealth in general, you know, I do feel that there's – 
And we talk about it as a way of expanding practices and offering this as a nice to have, you know, in certain populations of people. But I think it can be so much more than that. That's big right there, what you just said. Um, yeah. Because I feel like that is a trend that I've seen is that everybody jumped on the bandwagon as soon as the pandemic hit. And it was like, we were doing consults over Zoom and FaceTime and Skype and like whatever platform we could get a hand on that our clients would use and kind of scrapping together a telemedicine program because we had to. Yeah. And and I think there were real lessons there though, right? And for sure. um, There were lessons around our level of flexibility Mm -hmm. as clinicians um, to be willing to share our mind share, right? Of how do we get okay with other people talking to our pet parents? Like, how do we do that? Um, How do we get out of the way for other, for other clinicians um, to be able to provide care when, when we literally can't, when I'm too sick or my staff is too sick for us to be able to provide care for the animals that we, that we normally do. Um, And so there was definitely that push of, you got to figure it out. Different yeah. platforms popped up. Different companies popped up. Um, there were all of these things of like, hey, telehealth for everybody. You get telehealth. Um, and the part that was missing and why I think we started to see it start to drift away is that so much of telehealth is communication. And the training of those clinicians or the veterinary nurses in not just the art of medicine, but in the art of being able to communicate the value of what you're doing. And so, um, you know, we had all of these really great clinicians that had that first part. I can talk to you about a CBC, no problem. But being able to explain that remotely through a screen while relaying that you do actually care yeah, is much more of an art form than we gave it credit for. Yeah, it is. And any holes that we had in our exam room communication that could be sort of swept under the rug because we're in an exam room and clients expect a certain, a certain experience when they're in an exam room. And if we deliver that experience, we feel like we're doing a good job, but so much of it gets concentrated in that little screen when you can miss cues. And then all of a sudden cues you didn't even know you were giving become really important. Like, Oh wait, I do that with my face. Like when I'm listening. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Same. (laughs) It's very difficult for me to hide what's what I'm thinking. Masks were like a real gift in that way. And now I'm having to retrain myself, but we never got that escape over telemedicine. So suddenly we're masked in the exam room, masked with our friends and, on the screen or with this near stranger potentially trying to get them to believe that we care and there's nowhere to hide. Um, and that, that definitely was a lesson for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the, the part that's so cool about it is we started seeing clients that we'd never seen before. Yeah. Right. That yeah. suddenly people that, you know, maybe they have to ride the bus in order to get their pet to a vet clinic could now show up for an appointment, right? Or people that maybe, hey, you know what, actually, I can't take time off of work because I'm an hourly worker, I have to feed my kids. And if I don't show up to work, my paycheck is smaller, still could get care for their pets. And so it opened this world of this small glimpse into a population of pet parents that care so deeply about their pets. And now they can also access the care that the pets also deserve. How cool. Yeah, super cool. And one thing that I think you you had started to allude to before that I noticed was that we 
we sort of drifted a lot of the practices that I know anyway, um, say the higher touch practices, you know, who have continued to use telehealth, they're using it sort of as a a concierge service, you know, like Mm -hmm. their clients expect a certain level of service. And so they're providing it as a differentiating factor from the clinic down the road that doesn't do that and maybe isn't as accessible that way. But I haven't heard that many people, at least in my bubble, which admittedly is small, talking about telehealth as an access to care tool, not a concierge tool, you know, that maybe practices that aren't the super high touch practice that have the the clients who are very wealthy and have a lot of ability to come in for appointments, but just want this as a convenience, like maybe other practices who don't have that type of clientele can benefit from telehealth also. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit and how, what you've seen um, in your bubble? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we get this beautiful cross section of pet parents that come through Fuzzy. Um, it's all all layers. Um, we have we have pet parents that use us that are homeless, and we have pet parents that that use us on a daily basis, and their pets going through chemotherapy, which we know is not cheap often. And so there's this beautiful. We get this cross section of of pet parents that we get to serve, and there are definitely things that are, you know, non negotiable, and and that is. Every single one of them, regardless of where they are socioeconomically, deeply cares for their pet, deeply cares. And so I think that there's a layer there that we can tap into. Um, there's, there's, there's several aspects. So the first is definitely making this more affordable. Like there is economically less overhead to running a telehealth practice than there is for an in-person practice. Now, it doesn't get you out of having to have good partnerships, running great diagnostics, doing the work medically. But what it does for you is it allows you to open the door to educating these pet parents that may not know the value of flea and tick prevention and how it keeps not just their pets safe, but also their family and also the kids and also the other animals that may be on their property. Um, And then it becomes, it can become more of a priority. And the more that you get to do it, you know, we run, we're running 24-7. And so we get to see this as something that fits into the life of every pet parent, regardless of whether or not they make a ton of money or not. Maybe they're night shift and that's one time they're awake. Um, you know, really being able to help balance that out. Um, a lot of practices that aren't doing that are, are missing out on that portion of it. That being said, it's difficult to suddenly decide you're going to run your practice 24 seven, right? I mean, there's a practical side to that too. Right. Um, and so that's where, you know, really partnering strongly with a telehealth partner or using um, telehealth groups to help offset some of that, not just the operational cost aspects of it, but the life costs. I mean, who wants to be up 24 <laughs> seven? So right. you know, using that as the way to, um, to help to expand it also gives you an ability to have different clinicians interface with different types of pet parents. And so what that means is I, I grew up a different way than most veterinarians, actually. And I can identify and, and really feel deeply for the families that are struggling to make ends meet and struggling to make sure that their pet is healthy. And, and it helps you to understand that care looks different from family to family. That's a great point, too. Um... You know, I, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how curbside totally 
kind of separated us and you had no idea who was at the other end of the phone, what they looked like, where they'd been, um, what their environment was like, and even their facial expressions while you were talking to them, if you were talking on the phone. And this is sort of the opposite of that is that, you know, you can be so personal with the client who may not be used to seeing um, a person who looks like them or a person who feels like who they feel like can identify with their situation. And that's, that's such a huge, huge thing that I think I never really thought of before. And I am not surprised by that. Like that's my small bubble, you know? Well, I mean, and I've had, I've had pet parents in video consults. I get on the screen and they're like, are you the doctor? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm the doctor. (laughs) And they just light up. Yeah. And, and again, like, and it's very typical that there's kids, because usually at my house, there's kids in the background, <laughs> there's dogs barking, there's turkeys, you know, doing their thing. And so not only that, their children get to see this level of interaction that they can have with a veterinarian. And oh, by the way, hey, I remember when we talked to a veterinarian and she looked like me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love that so much. And that, that actually, I, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you... You know, we, our last conversation talked a lot about representation, how important that is for kids and adults to see that, you know, a certain profession doesn't always look a certain way and mm. that those doors can be open to you no matter what you look like. And you can't make assumptions based on appearance as far as like what you can do in your sure. life and, and what that person who's helping you might look like. And I was going to ask you how this conversation relates back to that one you know how does telehealth relate to that but you already answered that do you well, have partly anything, yeah. yeah yeah do you have anything else to add to that because I, I think that's such an important thing that's so often overlooked when we talk about this subject yeah absolutely and so there are there are pet families we know that there are 100 million pets right now in the U.S. without care Right. Our definition of care, that is walking to, into a clinic, getting hands put on the pet. Um, there's 100 million critters. Right. Um, and those families are all going to look different. They're going to have all different backgrounds. They're going to have all sorts of socioeconomic statuses. And by opening the door to telehealth, you're allowing those families to fit veterinary medicine into their life. And when you do that, you do you're able to interact and say, hey, here's actually the value that a veterinarian could provide. My very first dog, Katie, died in my backyard. And it was when I was little. I'm the oldest of five kids. The dog was not short on love. We absolutely loved Ebony. Um, We adored her. We did not know how sick she was. We did not know that she couldn't wait until the weekend for my mom to be able to take off work. Right? We were fully intending, we're going to find her a doctor. We're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. Um, She didn't make it. Right. And there are moments in these telehealth conversations, and it happens every day, that my team gets to be that voice for that pet in that moment of not just, hey, I see you. You care so deeply for this dog. You've found us. Here we are. Let's meet you where you are. And then let's get that pet to where they need to go if they need to go somewhere. And sometimes it's simple things. Like, actually, that's not a tick. That's a nipple. You're good. But but also... Best appointments ever. <laughs> best appointments ever. Yeah. But then also, it's, hey, I think she has a cold. When actually, gosh, I'm really worried that could be distemper. Here are some... It could be a cold, right? It could be kennel cough. But here are the other things that I am seeing that you don't know how to interpret. Her teeth chattering. 
is not because she's cold. She's having a focal seizure. And really being able to bring that value and push it into these populations that don't know and haven't been exposed to what we do or what we can do for these little guys that enrich their lives. And so there's a huge proponent for telehealth in those environments and using that as a way to, number one, recruit more people to veterinary medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my gosh, that's a thing. I can be an animal doctor. Let me go do that. Let me start now. Um, But also as we continue to build this field into what it really is going to be in the future. Like, I'm so stoked. Like, I know that everybody is kind of like doom and gloom right now. We don't have enough doctors. Our technicians are leaving the field because they don't feel appreciated or they're getting hurt or they're depressed and they're fatigued. This is the moment, right? This is where we get to turn the page and start a new chapter in veterinary medicine. And I think that the very first line of that chapter absolutely has to be about this being accessible to everybody. And the way that you start that is by telehealth. So tell me honestly, when was the last time you sent a pet home with oral antibiotics just in case? I could have answered yesterday for most of my time in practice, and so could most veterinary professionals I know. Clients have come to expect us to dispense antibiotics to cover our bases or save them money, often without diagnostic testing but it's time we took a more conservative approach. The 2022 AAFP AHA Antimicrobial Stewardship Guidelines outline real-world recommendations for decreasing antimicrobial use in your practice, creating a culture of good antibiotic stewardship within your team, and adjusting your clients' expectations and attitudes about how to know when antibiotics are necessary. Every veterinary professional, from client services rep to corporate medical director, has a role to play in protecting these priceless resources. See how you can get your team involved. The 2022 AAFP AHA Antimicrobial Stewardship Guidelines are available now and access is free and open to all at aha.org antimicrobials. That's so powerful, what you just said. Um, oh. there, you know... Change is so powerful anyway, the idea of change, the idea that we can be change makers because of the point at which we are in veterinary medicine. I think the first time you and I had a conversation, you said, I've not forgotten this because it was so amazing. You said um, that veterinary medicine is an amazing place to be right now because there's so much opportunity for change and or something like that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but it was yeah. very similar to that because Absolutely. I... I really just, um, I feel like I learned a lot about you in that sentence. And I feel like I, that's, that puts into words how I feel about being at AHA right now is, you know, this is a time where we have the ability to make changes that really matter and that are going to affect the profession for the rest of time. And this is such a big one is how do we get out of our sort of ivory tower bubble and make sure that we are providing the care that we can provide to as many pets as, and people as possible. Um, but I don't often hear about telehealth as being such a key factor in that. And I love that. Yeah, we, we have talked that. a lot. We do. And not only that, like we've talked a lot about how it directly impacts pet families, right? Mm-hmm. There's this whole other side to work-life harmony yeah. that telehealth can provide for the people in the field. Yeah. I mean, we have this this huge bank of doctors and nurses that have been physically 
fatigued, physically broken down, injured, that still have this beautiful mind and this deep heart that are willing to care for patients. We can use that. Like those are yeah. those are our people, right? That's how you extend this um, into into other homes and, and into other families. And so there's also the ability for us to use this as, you know, maybe in the future, um, there's a clinical experience where maybe you're a doctor two days a week in clinic, and maybe you're a doctor two days at home in your PJs, right? And we talk about yeah. how to balance that with compassion fatigue and really being able to um, see that difference and be that difference in veterinary medicine. And so I, I do, I'm so freaking excited to be a veterinarian right now because I am here. The people that I surround myself with, we want to see this survive. It will survive, but we get a chance to not just let it survive, but to really have veterinary blossom into something that we want it to be and that works for everybody that's in this industry. Yeah, love it. Uh, so we were talking about, um, you know, over this this conversation, we've been talking about how telehealth can provide um, access to care for people that might not be able to get off work or who might not necessarily even know if their pet needs to see a veterinarian at that time or not. So am I correct in saying that what you're talking about in those situations is often like a teletriage where you're, you don't necessarily have that veterinary client patient relationship yet, but are able to provide at least some guidance over the, an online channel? Yeah, for now. Um, you know, I, I mean, I am absolutely on the mission for us to be more thoughtful in how we assign veterinary client patient relationship yeah. and, and the value behind the knowledge that we're able to bring and get from pet families. And so, yes, for now, in a lot of states, it is limited to that teletriage aspect of it. Um, I do foresee a future, though, where we, we've got to do better. Mm -hmm. um, our, our patients deserve better. Yeah. The, the previous model in veterinary medicine that really hasn't changed arguably in 100, 150 years has to shift, right? We know yeah. more, we can do better. And so that's really, um, as that VCPR starts to shift, we'll start to see these very real studies around how to assess a patient remotely. I mean, my entire talk at the last lecture that I was is strictly how to do a digital physical exam. How do you get the information that you need to be able to make clinical decisions about a patient without your hands necessarily having to be on them? Knowing that you can segue into physical if you need to, into in-person care. And so, you know, there's definitely this balance that's happening and the, it, it's shifting in veterinary medicine and we have to continue to push that because we're, we're, we're far behind. Yeah. We're really far behind. Yeah. I, I do tend to agree with you. And I know, um, I know Jessica Vogel saying, you know, is a, an advocate for, um, for making sure that we can use telehealth at least as, as broadly as we are able to by the law now. And hopefully um, that where our, our rules and regulations will modernize a little bit over time. Um, because you're right, there's so much we can do from, from a distance. And we use our powers of observation more than I think we know in the exam room anyway, or at least we should be. So yes. uh, it's very exciting. I can't wait to see what happens. Like, you know, thinking about where we were 10 years ago, nobody was having this conversation. Maybe you were. That was it. We were, but they were, yeah. but they were really mad about me having the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and now people want to talk about it. And so we've made progress. Um, you know, I think that the progress is okay. Yeah. I think that the progress needs to be more. Yeah. And I think that we really have to push to have these very 
very real conversations um, at the highest level of veterinary medicine, right? Yeah. And so unless we're absolutely willing to not just have the conversation, but act on what we learn. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to continue to be a bit of a, a bit of a struggle, but we'll get there. Uh, like we're going to push. It'll get there. Yeah, yeah. I have faith. Definitely with you <laughs> helping to lead the charge. I have faith. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So I have one more question about on the access to care um, mm. theme, which is a little bit potentially maybe a little off the telehealth track, but it's one that's on my mind a lot lately because of what we've been seeing in the news, on social media, like certain influential people, you know, have been in the profession have been talking about this. Um, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were, where, where it related to the access to to care issue, which is the idea of a mid-level veterinary professional. So somebody mm. with like a master's degree who acted like a PA, um, like a physician's assistant. Um, do you have any, any thoughts that you'd want to share on that where it relates to what we've been talking about? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually good with it. Uh, and the reason why, you know, I think that there's um, a longer road to bringing more veterinarians into the world. We have set it up that way. And as we learn how to educate veterinarians better, that may change. I think until then, we have to figure out a way for these pets and these animals, not just the pets, you know, food animals likewise, to get care and to get the care that they deserve. And so if that means a mid-level practitioner, great. I think that the call out, um, the real call out here is how we use them. Yeah, we're still struggling, really, in how to even effectively use our veterinary nurses. Yes, who are by all uh, by all accounts more talented than I am. Yeah, <laughs> oh, a lot absolutely. of things for sure. In yeah, so there are. Yeah, and so you know, I think we have to leverage that as well as yeah, coming up with other ways um, for us to be creative and how to get care. You know, it's estimated that that 100 million pets without care is going to double in less than 10 years. So we got to figure this out, right? And, the, and with the rate that veterinary schools are currently kicking out vet students, the math doesn't add up, right? Yeah. We're still going to be drastically behind. And, you know, unless we're having litters of veterinarians, like it's going to be really hard for us to get there unless we start to think differently and behave differently. Right. Yeah. We gotta can't just be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. You actually gotta do the work. You gotta do the thing. And so I think that that's I think it's a nice compromise. Um, but I also think that we owe it to our veterinary nurses to use them to the top of their license. You know, they're not just glorified vaccinators. Yeah. Um, let's use them to the top of their licenses, and maybe we have the discussion on how to expand and 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 tip up the top of their license as well. Yeah, so true. There's so much truth in it. And, you know, I, I think the idea of that mid-level um, practitioner, you know, obviously, there's a lot that has to go along with that idea um, in, you know, who's ultimately responsible for those patients and yeah. um, how much do they get paid and how much how does that relate to how much it costs to educate them? And how can we pay veterinary technicians, veterinary nurses what they're worth, um, which many, many, many of them, arguably, potentially all of them are not making right now. And so you, mm -hmm. there seems to be this like insurmountable pile of questions that we have to answer all at once 
to consider that. But at the same time, we are masters at considering piles of seemingly unanswerable questions all at once. That's the life of a veterinary professional. I mean, literally, <laughs> we're trying to heal these things and figure out what's happening inside them, and they won't even talk to us. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. I know. We can figure this out. We can yeah. do this. And but you're right. humans who are yeah. always complicated. So. Yeah, totally, um, totally. Yeah. But I, I, I really appreciate that perspective and I appreciate um, all the perspectives that I'm collecting on that issue because it is such a nuanced one and there are so many changes that have to go with it in order for it to be an idea that's implemented appropriately and usefully. But I also do feel like, you know, when it comes to that issue of the access to care, we have to entertain that possibility. We have to entertain all viable possibilities and thinking that, there are pets and owners who are not accessing care because they don't want to pay for it or because they don't, you know, they think it's not useful, that that's why there are millions and millions of pets not getting care. (laughs) That comes from a true place of privilege because for the most part, that's not going to be the case. Um, And it just, that's something I only came to realize, I think later on in my career is that yeah. just because somebody wasn't getting care didn't mean they didn't want it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yeah. I've heard that story so many times and I mean, we took our cats to bed. I remember sitting in my family room one night when I was a kid and looking over and the cat was sitting on the cat tree. She was this cute, her name was princess <laughs> and she had her lower canine tooth. If you're watching, you, you could see, but if you're listening, I'm sticking my finger out at like a right angle to my face. And her lower canine tooth was like sticking out at this angle. And I was like, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> but, you know, it's not like we'd done a dental on this cat. You know, she probably had grade four periodontal disease, but it's totally. not like we'd done a dental on her. She got her vaccines, which is more, I think, than most people we knew. Mm-hmm. But she was definitely not getting like routine dental care every year. And um, yeah. I'll never forget seeing that tooth sticking out. And uh, yeah, definitely shouldn't happen <laughs> in a cat. So, um, and, uh, and we would have paid for it. I just think we just didn't know, you know, mm. so um, definitely so much to think about there. And, and thank you again for sharing your yeah, thoughts Yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah, my, my, it's been my privilege, um, you know, being able to chat with you. You let me come back. I mean, this is- <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and for anybody who is watching this attentively, like, Hmm, did we come back or are we just still here? <laughs> um, What's so, the difference, man? Time is time is fluid. Time is fluid, I know. <laughs> um, so to close out, um, I want to ask you, obviously, where our listeners and viewers can, can find you. But also, I wanted to just follow up on that mid-level practitioner question real quick with the question of technicians, CSRs, um, you know, veterinary nurses, the people who work in, these hosp- in our hospitals right now, and they're working so hard, maybe don't have the ability to say, we're going to start a telehealth program. We're going to hire a teletriage service. Like, they can't, they don't have that power to make the change. But... Are there ways that people, regardless of role in their hospital, can make moves toward increasing access to care or to changing the attitudes of the hospital where they work? Yeah. Oh, I love this question because I'm all about empowering people yeah. to do the thing, right? Yeah. So um, you'll, my CEO of, of Fuzzy, Zubian, will tell you this. I'm a huge fan of, me- of, of um, managing up. 
And what that means is speaking up for the culture that you see around you, for the needs of your fellow co-workers. And he listens, right? But there are definitely these clinics, and I've, I've been in them, where it can be difficult to feel like you can manage up, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the key. It's being like, hey, maybe we can actually do this. I've done a lot of cons- consulting and things like that as far as how do we bring telehealth or telemedicine into this practice. And I routinely hear, oh, well, I don't think that my technicians or I don't think that my receptionists will want to do one more thing. But here's what I know about CSRs and technicians and, and veterinary assistants. They will do anything for their patients absolutely anything yeah even if that means one more thing they will do anything and that that's the part that i think um that they can help to relay is i know it's going to be like maybe it's another platform or maybe it's an extra button inside our practice management software i'm willing to learn it if you're willing to pay for it i'm willing to learn it and i think that that's really the conversation that has to start happening um for telehealth to take hold in all of these individual practices. A lot of the pushback is, Dr. Roth, we're so busy. And it's true. It is so true. But I also know the hearts, the minds of these support staff and the veterinarians that serve these pet families. We took an oath. We will do it. We will make it happen for these families. We will make it happen for these pets. You have to verbalize that you're willing to make it happen. Amazing. That's a great answer. Um, sometimes you just never know till you speak up, right? You never know. Yeah. Fantastic. And where can we find you online? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit of everywhere. I mean, I'm definitely on LinkedIn, (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, um, word on the street is that there are TikToks. So that's a thing. Um, (laughs) most of them, if I'm posting it are going to be of like my farm animals, plus or minus kids. Um, but definitely. All bets are off, though, if it's someone all, else. All bets are off. Like it is, <laughs> it's a thing. It happens, and we've acknowledged that it happens, and it's okay. Um, but it's definitely, it's all about, as, as you can probably tell, it is being that representation. If it means one extra little kid can be like, I can be like her, I can be like Dr. Roth, the embarrassing TikToks that I record make it all worth it. <laughs> totally. Plus, I mean, that's so fun. That just means you're fun, you know? It's all about being fun. authentic. Yeah. yeah. My kids sometimes don't think I'm fun, but I, I think I'm fun. <laughs> that's the job of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you humble. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, um, I will certainly link to um, a couple of places for people to reach you, including finding your books uh, in our show notes. So if you missed that last time, we'll link it again here, but definitely check out um, Dr. Sharice Roth on our other conversation too, um, because I just think you have so many magical gifts for this profession. And I'm really honored to have spent this time with you. Thank you so much. It's been so fun, Katie. I've really enjoyed this. And thanks for for giving us a platform to, to talk to one another and help build up veterinary medicine into this new magical beast it's going to be because it's going to be great i love it i talk to you and i feel like i can go out and like do stuff like i do it do the stuff now do it all so. the things do all the <laughs> yeah things. <laughs> all right well i hope everyone listening goes out and does the things too because now you are empowered to do so yes. and thank you so much for listening everyone we'll catch you next time on central right. line thank you thanks for listening to today's episode of central line the aha podcast if you love what you hear please take a moment to leave us a rating and review 
For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.